Creators Podcast. My name's Richard and today we're doing something a bit different. I'm actually tattooing a gentleman called Richard. So we won't be forgetting any names today. Um, welcome to the podcast Richard. Nice to be here. So uh, um, I decided to hit the record button and uh, record this or the audio of this tattoo because I just know that there's going to be some really interesting stories come out of this. Um, I, I was fascinated as soon as I met Richard and um, I had a lot of questions and um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting opportunity because what Richard does is, is he's a ranger um, looking after wild animals in Africa and other countries, but, but mainly Africa. And today we're tattooing a rhino and um, what I'll do is I'll put the picture of the tattoo in the in the thumbnail of the, the, the this episode, so you so you get to see what we've done. Um, obviously, this is a visual thing that we're doing, but it's more about the 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 finding out about what it's like to be a ranger in Africa. You, you know, to, well, well, Richard's going to explain, but. Um, it's very, very rare. It's very, very rare. We tattoo lions all the fucking time and tigers and all this wildlife. And people come up with these bullshit stories why they want to get a lion and why, why oh, because, because I'm a lion and you know, my dad's a lion and all the men in my family are lions. And, and like, they're fucking lying, you know? Like, there's now lying about them, you know? And, but, but, um, this is one of the, I, I, I'm not going to say it's the first time it's happened, but it's certainly right up there with the first time it's happened where someone has really got an honest, genuine story behind a wildlife tattoo. You know, a tiny proportion of people have, who get lions and tigers and gorillas have even been on safari you know they've only seen them on, on the telly so Richard's got first-hand on-the-ground experience of actually living with these creatures and you know like as soon as I found out what he does I was instantly fascinated by it because like opportunities to even ask someone a question and get a, an, an honest answer um, about any of this stuff that we really don't know about, um, it's a, it's 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 a rare opportunity. So welcome to the podcast, Richard. And, no, pleased to be here. So. Um, thanks for letting us uh, record it because I think that there's some. Well, it's not it's not just a story. It's a really important. There's a lot of really important stuff about this, and um, you know you are out there doing stuff. Uh, making an effect, trying to trying to trying to help change for the better, and um, yeah, well, respect for what you're doing for a start. Because thanks. It's, uh, so do you, do you want to tell us a bit about your background, like um, bef 
before all this started, what was you grew up in Africa? Did you? Was yeah, I grew up in uh, predominantly in Botswana, which is uh, an absolutely amazing country. Um, interestingly, Botswana's one of the highest. Um, it's, it's got the highest growth of any country in Africa, but also in in the world. Obviously, they got diamond reserves, but one of their one of their main sources of income is the wildlife. And very early on in the history of the country, um, the the president Sir Seretsi Kama. Some of you might have seen the film A United Kingdom about a young white girl that meets an African prince and goes over to to Africa, and they create a new nation. Um, in the face of apartheid and the British colonial bollocks, is what I would call it, mm. um, and 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 basically they they made a real um, concerted effort to invest in protection of their natural resources. And one of the biggest natural resources that they had within the Kalahari Desert, but also in the Okavango Delta and on the northern borders with um, what is now Zimbabwe and Zambia, um, they they made a massive massive investment in it in protecting it and that was when I was growing up there that's when I first sort of got an in, a real indication as to what it meant to protect those those creatures um some of the uh some of the work that was going on was right up my street I was destined to be a soldier it was in my blood um generations of soldiers and so I started to to see some of these really high-level special forces units from the United Kingdom coming over and training up um, the Rhino Protection Unit, as it was called initially, but then it became the, the Wildlife Protection Unit. And, and they were operating at an amazingly high level, and I thought, you know what, I want to do that. And that was before I'd even joined the Army. So... And it, I got out there, I went out with my old man a few times and we were doing, um, helping some of these UK guys understand the Africa, understand the ground. And it was very different to the Brecon Beacons. So we, one of my in nat natural skills skill sets is tracking. I, I'm, I can pretty much track someone on a... I can track someone on a metal road. It's, it, it, I, can, I can get a feel for where they've entered the... The obstacle where they leave the obstacle where they're likely to go and it's all the subtleties of broken grass and is that just because you grew up that's there? just part of what i was trained that was just my being a kid. what we did because yeah. yeah. like when you're a kid like you know when i was a kid there was a field out the back yeah, of my house yeah, that, that yeah. was as much you know like yeah. living carlisle and it's not exactly a, a sprawling yeah. city with yeah. high-rise buildings or anything but you know it's a city and there was a field out the back of the house yeah. and, and I used to dig holes and, you know, cause all sorts of chaos. But like, um, my, my you would actually be, different. your landscape, your playground yeah. when you were a kid. Oh, it was very different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my back garden was, sounds very posh, but we had a swimming pool, but everybody does, everybody does over there. And, you know, baboons used to come and drink out of the swimming pool when it was, when we had a, we had a drought for about eight years at one the point. Boons, the baboons are the ones with the pink asses, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. scary, scary bastards. To be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, we used to 
get that. We used to have um, a mongoose or meerkats that would come and dig down the side of the pool to catch snakes and things like that. Wow. And we used to trap them and track them. And we'd often literally open off it over my back fences. There was nothing, it was the Kalahari Desert, nothing for, nothing until you got to, well, pretty much into Namibia where there was nothing, even more nothing. More nothing. <laughs> and then you got to the skeleton coast. But yeah, so it was, uh, it was very different. Um, one of my earliest memories was where I f felt threatened by, it's difficult, it's not really threatened, where you just feel that you're in their world, so you have to deal with how their world operates, was, um, with regards to animals, was um, my little brother, he must have been about five or six, and he was in the storm ditch around the back of the house, and he was uh, throwing stones at something, so I went to see what it was doing, and it was a, um, it was a king cobra, so he was trying to do this, snake in with small sticks and it wasn't happy it was flattened and it was up and it was having a good hiss if you like um so i dragged him away from it went back to the house and told my dad and he didn't say are you all right he didn't say that was a that was a really dangerous thing to do or anything like that all he did was ask me a simple question did you kill it and of course i said well no and he said, well, go and find it and kill it. But we can't have those things so close to the where people are living. It, it's, yeah. So, so I had, we, we had to go and How old track you this then? thing down for about eight. <laughs> <laughs> you were eight years old and your dad didn't even bother going and like killing the fucking cobra for you. Yeah, he he just, just told you to go and kill it. Yeah, get rid of it. Um, so off we went. Got a couple of mates together and we... Uh, yeah, we, we dispatched the creature, I had to bring it back as proof. <laughs> and, um, and, and yeah, so it was like, just because it, it, it sounds quite cruel and, cruel and given that I work in conservation, you think to yourself, well, hang on a minute, you just killed something. Yet you've also got to understand the, and that's one of the biggest things that we do at the moment, is working on that wildlife human interface. And how can you live in harmony with the animals and the animals live in harmony with humans? without it having an impact on either species. And that's really important. But if you find, if there's a snake knocking about that could particularly, last thing we'd want to do is just ignore it, leave it. And then yeah. one of the local kids or one of our friends end up getting killed. Because these, the, these things, um, the king cobra, will, if it gets you, it'll, it'll kill you in a matter of seconds. So it was the right thing to do. So we went out and did that. So that was sort of uh, my first sort of memory around the, around, the uh, living hand, you know, right on on the cusp of what were what are dangerous creatures. Um, generally speaking, if you stay out of their land, they'll stay out of your land. But if they do stray in, then you've there's, there's a bit of a you got to have a balance, don't balance, you? Because yeah. like you, you couldn't be there yeah. doing whatever you do, ex basic existence, yeah. unless you yeah. had con controlled something that was gonna gonna yeah. kill you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and I think it's having respect. I, the the um, one of the one of the most sort of it was. I mean, I'm, I'm skipping forward a little bit in my life, but after I left the army for a little while, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I did end up in the fire. I did end up as a firefighter for quite a long time, which was okay. Um, wasn't it didn't really float my boat very long. But the one of the things that I did, I spent a couple of weeks with um, with Bushman. 
in um, in the in the sun, just listening to them and and sort of understanding how they live in harmony with 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 the earth and Aboriginal people. We've got so much to learn from Aboriginal people, whether it be in in Australia with the actual called Aborigines or whether it be in um, Central America, North America. With the uh, with the North American Indians, which is what they actually prefer to be called, although the uh, the the those that dance the wokey cokey want us to call them Native Americans. However, they're not Native Americans. They will tell you that a Native Native American is anybody who was born in America. Yeah. So it, it takes away from what a North American Indian is. So I will use terminology that people might think is not politically correct. Yet I know what these people want to be called and talked yeah. about. So. We've got so much to learn from them. I mean, they, they, they live in hand in glove with nature all the time. And they, in particular, the Kalahari Bushmen, they, they don't have any concept of owning the land. They, they, they actually find it quite hilarious that we, in the, in the, in the developed world, sort of, for, some, for, the, for the exchange of some imaginary, some imaginary stuff called mummy, yeah. They uh, they say, oh, how can you own the land? You're you're part of the land. You're a creature on the earth like everybody else. How how can you own the land? It, it, it's it's a, a bit like a bird saying you can't land you can't land on this tree because this is my tree. How is it their tree? It's the, so so they don't really understand the concept of owning the land. And they also um they they, they also uh, they're the epitome of sustain sustainability and living in harmony with the earth because they, they only take what they need. Um, and I think humanity is destroying the place, isn't it? With, they're destroying the earth by taking more than they need. Yeah. For what? For money. You know, and that's whether, yeah. whether it's logging or whether it's um, rhino horn, ivory, anything like that. One of the things that like pisses me off as uh, somebody who... Uh, I, I engineer things, I make tattoo machines, is uh, a term called integrated obsolescence. Mm. And, you know, it links directly back to that. Things are designed to break and, like, like that, that, so we've got to use more stuff, you know, and, and um, when you haven't got much yeah. to work with already, you, you actually, like, oh, yeah. look after it a lot better, don't you? Um, I'm not saying that scarcity is necessarily a good thing, but um, you, you know, having respect for yeah. where it came from, and you know, using it in a way yeah. that makes the most yeah. out of it, instead of like this, like fucking throwaway society that we live in. Um, Kids these days don't even know where their food comes from. Mm. I think it comes from the supermarket. Mm. I've no idea of what it is that they're eating or where it's come from. We. We've got used to eating, we can eat strawberries all year round. Mm. Yet, if you go back a hundred years, we lived off what was seasonally available and seasonally available local to us. So our diet, so for example, the diet in Carlisle would have been very different to somebody in, in, in winter, would have been very different to the diet of somebody living down in Cornwall. Yeah. Because it, it's about, and we, 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 we just sort of, manipulated the world to our needs whereas we're supposed to live with the world in harmony and we don't do it yeah um, some of the things that that i, I liked about the the kalahari bushmen in particular the sam 
and the koi and is that they're they they actually thank the earth every day for what it's provided them. Mm-hmm. If, if they kill an animal, which is not that often, believe it or not, they are hunter gatherers, but they they're predominantly plant based in their diet. If they kill an animal, whether it be a chemsbok or a impala, chemsbok. What's a chemsbok? Chems is spelled G E M B A. It's like a, an orange. It's like a a really large desert antelope with very very long spiral horns right with big bit of kit um pretty fast and if you don't get it right when you're hunting them on foot with a tiny little bow and arrow um they'll, they'll have your eye out i think is the term that we often use yeah, so so the but when the when they the bushman if the bushman drop one of those they use absolutely everything whether it's for food or for clothing or for tools and everything gets used there is nothing wasted the bones um, and everything absolutely yeah. everything is used for whatever even if they're just crushing the bones down to use for like a, a like it's like a dusting powder or something like that they'll use everything yeah um so nothing's wasted um and that's great it, it, it's 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 injured and they'll share everything with you um recently in Cameroon doing a patrol and we we moved through a very very small um occupied area it was the um, the the Baka the Baka people which are in effect forest pygmies because Cameroon for those that aren't aware is equatorial rain jungle equatorial forest equatorial rainforest and the predominant creature that we're protecting in there is there are a few gorillas left there are a few chimps but there's a, there's only 200 recorded forest elephants, which are slightly smaller than the African elephant that you would see on like safari programs and things like that. They're a lot smaller, a lot more rounded, and they are extremely private creatures. They stay away from people for good reason, because they're just getting, uh, they're getting poached into extinction at the moment um, from across the border. And so yet the Baka have lived in harmony with the forest since since you know since the beginning of time so i, I bet it pains them to yeah. see what's going on it must be it's everything the yeah. resource being mass logging camps um if we can hear the buzzing in the background i just started the tattoo machine up i've been there i put richard's stencil on we're doing a rhino and uh, I've, uh there's a cover up in there as well so we've got like a, a tribal band that's going around his mid upper arm that we're covering um so it's had a bit of laser on it, hasn't it, to, it has, yeah. to, to reduce yeah. it down. And um, So we're covering that with some foliage. We're doing the rhino on the outside of his arm and we're going to be doing a, a, a ranger with a knelt down with a holding a gun on the on the inner arm. So I'm going to start tattooing now while we're talking. So just if you can hear any buzzing or anything like that, that's that's what it is. Or Richard screaming, <laughs> that's what's going on. So. Yeah. Uh, carry on, mate. Like, so, so you were just talking about a, a small elephant. Yeah, the, it's the, the the forest elephant and the backer people have got. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Let's let, let's just like we just know elephant, right? There's an African elephant yeah. and a and an Indian elephant. That's that's all I know. Yeah. So there's different. There's more elephants. Yeah. The the obviously Indian elephant is a lot smaller, smaller ears, different shaped head, slightly yeah. different skull structure. Yeah. Um. The um. The African elephant that is in sort of 
the the ones you'd see on the telly, um, the big big ears, the big tuskers. Um, they're generally a plains elephant or a savannah elephant. Yeah. Um, the forest elephant is a smaller version of the plains elephant. It's a lot more rounded and bulbous in its in its sort of in its features. Um, it's designed to be able. It, it's nature has designed it so that it can travel through really dense undergrowth without causing itself any problems. So a, a, a big a big African savannah elephant would really struggle getting through some of the forest that we're talking about in in the likes of sort of uh, Cameroon and Nigeria or places like that. Um, because they've got too many bits that will get, <laughs> get caught on the trees. Yeah, yeah. So, so even their tusks grow a slightly different way to make them more streamlined to, to push through the undergrowth. Um, but they still have tusks, which means that they're a target. Um, but the, the, the backer people have, um, they have traditional hunting rights in these areas. And they have deliberately stopped hunting the forest elephant. Yeah. Even though to get one forest elephant will probably feed the village for a couple of weeks, yeah, they are now focusing on smaller creatures like um, uh, small monkeys, um, bush rats. Bush rats are like dogs, <laughs> massive. Right. Um, but they'll 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 use those um, certain birds, um, and unfortunately, pangolin, um, pangolins like the scaly anteater. And right. they're highly endangered, and we do a lot of work to try and um, change. Again, it's that human wildlife interface piece about, you know, you could actually have chickens instead of eating pangolin if you want to eat, because the, the meat's very similar. Yeah. Um, yet they don't. It's very, it's very difficult to change thousands of years of culture just yeah. to, to do that. At least they have got something yeah there, you know some morals in there to because you know they maybe like see the pangolin like we see a chicken well yeah because they are they are quite there's quite a few of them knocking about um but it's interesting that they over the last few or four or five generations have actually stopped hunting the, the forest elephant purely because of the fact that they're thinking if we hunt them now and there's none left how is our race going to survive in the future so yeah might be worth a couple of generations not hunting it so that it keeps the the race alive in the future yeah it's it, it's so interesting they're, 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 they're aware of yeah conservation even of themselves you yeah. know like to yeah but what struck me the most on, on that in that instance was um they were living in these little beehive huts that made themselves and we went we went in and uh and these people have got absolutely nothing They've got no internet or mobile phones or, so they don't have the distractions of, what is it, Facebook or whatever, all yeah. of that sort of stuff. And, um, and they literally have nothing. And the first thing they did was fed us first from their pot. And they were willing to go without for us. And for us to not take it would have been quite insulting, even though we had our own rations. Um, so we went through it. We we did our, we did leave them with some stuff, although they probably didn't like it. <laughs> so, um, but it's the fact that they're willing to give everything to a straight, complete stranger mm. because of that. Their 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 culture is that 
you 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 only exist because you because other people exist. It's mm -hmm. that. Um, in fact, one of my tattoos says Ubuntu on it, and Ubuntu is a Zulu word that's from an African philosophy. That it basically all it, what Ubuntu means is I am because you are. That's nice. So, and that's the basis of how Nelson Mandela changed an entire nation. Right. By and it's about appreciation of others. Um. And, and we don't we don't see enough of that anymore. People are only interested in themselves and what they what's in it for them. Um, and it sort of le leads you to think a little bit about your own sort of motivations and what what it what it is that makes you who you are, what defines you. And so many people in the world are defined by a role or a position that they hold either at work or in community or and my question is if you took that away who are you mm. Mm. you took people's social media yeah. away you yeah. took everything away um there's there's a, there's a, there's a term for this like similar like um you know talking about taking People, mm. what, what your status and everything so what you are I, I don't know what the quote is but it's about like what you are is what you give yeah not what you've like mm. achieved it's what you've actually you know th that was for you and mm. um, it's for what you, you leave behind you know like the, the, the things yeah. that you've done are really what you know for others yeah and 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 the world and you know the people that that is really what defines you when you take everything else away you know like your, yeah. your ego everything it's it's what you, you ego is huge ego is huge and it's often misconstrued isn't it people often think your ego is you being bigger you know it, it's the your ego is the thing that your ego is that thing inside you isn't it that 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 makes you want whatever it is you're doing. If you can, if if you take take for example, um, a CEO of a company. Their C their CEO of the company, and that is a product of their ego. Yeah. They've 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 aspired to be that and to get up to that point, and then you go to that point where you say, okay, right, you're not CEO anymore. Who are you? Their ego saying, I was the CEO, I was the CEO, I'm this, I'm that. Yeah, but you're not now, so who are you? And unless you can divorce yourself from that ego and actually understand who you truly are, and you talk about that giving and what's stuff that's sort of bigger than yourself, and it's, it's very difficult to put into words what made that shift in me, for example, to to actually want to leave a legacy that's worthwhile rather than a legacy that's just a decent bank account, some houses. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, it's, uh, what, what was that quote again that you got tattooed? Ubuntu. A Ubuntu. Ubuntu, yeah. That's it there. Look. Oh yeah, and that means... I am because we are. I love that. Mm. I think that's great. Like, 
wow, you know, that, that's the one word, mm. one word that, that, that you know, uh, it encapsulates it all. Someone up so much there, like. In, um, in KwaZulu language, when you, when you greet someone, you say, Salborna, which means I see you. Right. And the response to that, directly translated, is I'm here to be seen. So it's that ingrained cultural understanding that without me seeing you and without you seeing me, we don't actually exist. Yeah. You bring each other into existence by acknowledging each other. Yeah. And a lot of the re a lot of people, and I come across it all the time with NGOs that are working in Africa, who are so focused on the point, the issue, they forget that they've, they're not dealing with... And how many times have you been dealing with the Western world? So you, you, you wander around at work or whatever and someone says, how's it going? You say, I'm all right, yeah, and you crack on. And it, there's no, nobody really cares. No. They're not really that asked about whether you, whether they, whether you are... Yeah, it's just a... It's just, it's a, just a saying, it's isn't just it? a, Yeah, it's just a greeting yeah. with no kind of... Yeah. Um, care in behind yeah. it well your boss comes over to you at work one day and says uh how's it going you're all right yeah all right yeah and then you start talking and they say yeah all right i need you to do this now by then why haven't you done it yet sort of thing yeah and when just, i when yeah. i say at the coobs uh how are you getting on mate you're right what i'm really asking is what work have you done today <laughs> what have you achieved today that's what i want to know um yeah. Yeah, I want to know that he's all right as well. That's yeah, like that's yeah, that's yeah. the that's the first Excuse greeting me. in the morning. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, morning, Paul. How's it going? But like through the day, when I'm saying like, uh, "How are you getting on, mate?" What I really mean is, "What have you achieved since yeah. I last spoke yeah. to you?" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We get to that. Whereas in 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 Africa, it's, when you're dealing with, and this is what I really struggled with when I first came back back to the UK when I came back to to school here was um, everybody's very much in a hurry to get to the point all the time. You know, it's in a typical conversation in, say, for example, Botswana, you don't even start even getting anywhere near the point for about 10, 15 minutes because <laughs> you're having a conversation about how that person is, how that person's family are. They're asking you how you are, how their family are asking about their crops, cattle, talking about cattle. If you don't talk about, if you don't ask them about their cattle, then they're just not going to engage with you because their cattle are the center of their universe. And, and they really, they'll talk about the, they'll talk about the difference in how the wildebeest, for example, are moving across the plains slightly differently or the, that big tusk has been seen again over by whatever tree, the baobabs or whatever. And that's important to them. And then eventually you might get to the point of saying, so if you put some diesel in the Land Rover yet? <laughs> <laughs> because they're not, and they appreciate that more. And, it's, and you, do, you do have to just, it's just the whole pace of life slows down. And... And it's very simple, very simple way of life. I think with uh, getting uh, to, to connect to people, you've got to connect at their level. Mm. 
you know like you you've got to find a, yeah. a level where you can both communicate on and the the easiest ways to work out where they're at yeah and i'm not saying that someone's above or below but you got to speak to someone mm. in their yeah. language in in, in their in, in, in their and interests and that's that's really interesting you say that because when you look at some of the um the 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 concepts within ubuntu one of the things that they talk about is put yourselves in the shoes of others when you're talking to them and and i was it was explained to me in a sense well it was my old man again who said to me he said when you're having a conversation with someone when do you ever think about how that other person experiences themselves in your presence mm -hmm. and you think well no, I, I don't know I'm on it and that goes back to listening to respond rather than listening to understand yeah. and if if you ask a question and all you're thinking about is how you're going to answer it you've missed the point yeah you're not even listening yeah. to the answer yeah Preempting yeah. what you would say, not listening to what they would say. You're imposing your ego on that other person rather yeah. than accepting that everybody's got an ego. Their ego is going to look at it slightly differently. So we're looking at this microphone now sitting in here. Um, you've seen it, you're seeing it very differently to how I'm seeing it. Yeah, it's the same microphone. Yeah. And we forget that everybody's got their own map of the world. They're all, we're all a product of our our upbringing, our experiences in life, you know, and so we're all going to see the world slightly differently. Our map of the world is very different. Yeah. It's not wrong. It's just different. It's paradigms, isn't yeah. it? They're yeah. Different, the same thing, but, you know, I could hold this picture of a rhino up mm. and I can, I can hold it up with it facing me and I can say to you, there's a picture of a rhino on this piece of paper, but you're looking at the back of the piece of paper and you can say, no, it's not, it's a plain piece, plain of, paper. piece of paper. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. it's just the, the, the perspective That's it, yeah. that we're looking at it. Yeah. It is, and, and I think, going back to the conservation work and the human um, wildlife in sort of conflict that's over there, it drives certain behaviours, and poaching is one of the is a symptom of governments or commercial enterprises that are running game farms or safari companies. All of that creating the wrong environment for people to live and work together. Because historically, people and the people in Africa and the wildlife have lived together. I mean, that's where humanity began in Africa. So as long as humans have been on this earth, they've lived in harmony with wildlife until the colonial times, until what Western, those, ego. Western ego thought yeah. they knew better. Yeah. And then when oh, we want that, we, that's, that's, that's ours. We'll take yeah. that. I want that animal's paw for fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what make I mean? A like, stool out of to it. make it into mm. an ashtray or like say, a stool yeah. or a table or. Yeah. And, and one of the things that they did in the, so in, it was probably a, in the 
50s after the Second World War where they started to commercialise some of the game areas and make the, the national parks, if you like. Um, now these national parks, they don't have fences. If you can imagine the Lake District National Park, there's no fence on it, it's just a sign that says you're entering the national park. Yeah. These national parks are, in some cases, seven or eight times bigger than the Lake District, and yeah. they're just wild bush. And what they did is, is they, they, they rounded up all of the people that lived in the national park and moved them out. And it, it created that, it created a, an issue because those people had lived in harmony with the animals, the wildlife for so long, and it was part of their, their way of being. So then, naturally, although they've been moved out of the parks, they naturally will then have to go into the parks to get what they need. Yeah. And we're not talking about big money rhino poaching or big money ivory poaching or people going out to try and catch a big lion or whatever. We're just talking about people going into the national park to hunt for food. Stuff that we look at in the zoo, like um, small monkeys and things like that. That's yeah. that's their diet. Yeah. And and it created this new crime called the bushmeat crime, bushmeat trade, and it was it became a crime. So then they started to prosecute people for doing what they'd always done, and um, and that was just subsistence poaching. That was them just going in to get what they wanted. To bring well, it out. What they needed. Yeah. Yeah, it's what they needed. Because um, we weren't giving them any any alternative. So we look at alternative livelihoods now. Really good example of an alter alternative livelihoods that's really picked up in Kenya and in Botswana is the issue around elephants and crops. Now, elephants don't have boundaries. They've been migrating from the right from the top of Africa all the way down to the Cape for centuries. Since before humans were even a thing, the elephants have had those, those migration routes. Um, and if someone has a farm on that migration route and they plant some crops on it, and the elephants happen to be in that part of their migration, then they're not gonna all say, oh, hang on a minute, that's someone's field, I'm gonna go around. They're going to go through it. And you know what? They plant some pretty juicy stuff in those fields, like maize, corn, uh, all the different bits and pieces. The elephant thing, ah, you know what? I quite like this. May as well, uh, so might as well have a bit have of a, a snack. Have a snack while yeah. I'm here, you know. <laughs> so, so, the, so the farmers are starting to kill the elephants to, get to, 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 to keep them out of the crops. Yeah. Um, so this initiative that started in Botswana that's now moved into Kenya is that um, we've created a, a, an alternative livelihood for some of these people and believe it or not it's beehives putting beehives in because elephants don't like bees right so building they why build, do elephants not like bees they just don't like them the, like they just, they you wouldn't think that a bee could really sting an no. elephant i don't know but I, like, I, I have no idea i should really know but i don't i just know that elephants don't like bees so they set up, set up beehives around the, the edge of this land that diverts the elephants around the land and also produce honey so that the community can start selling it and making money from the honey. Well, um, that's a proactive uh, 
um, solution, isn't it? And it's, also, it's working. Yeah, that's, that's good. It's definitely and working. No elephants were harmed in the process of this, and obviously, yeah, like yeah. bees are just on the bees. Like, you know, we hear about this problem with the bees, and mm. if bees were to uh, disappear, then we would disappear because we need the bees. And it all makes sense, you know, because they're Does pollinators, yeah. and um, I think there's powers that be that are trying to take over the food industry uh, think that we don't need bees and they can genetically modify yeah. shit to, you know, and feed us that crap that they probably wouldn't eat themselves, you know, but um, bees will be different in Africa, like even the, like the bees themselves, it's not going to be like the, uh, is a honeybee in Africa the same as the Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. That what's different is the 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 seasonal um, the 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 seasonal availability of pollinating plants. Right. So you actually have a longer honey season. Right. Um, and that's one of the things in the UK at the moment. They talk about um, bees, like you're saying, bees are you know endangered, and there's something like twenty eight different species of bees nothing about and they're all pollinate but there's more there's more flying insects that pollinate us and people are saying oh we need more bees i'm going to start keeping bees but that's not the answer to the problem the answer to the problem isn't more bees the answer to the problem is more wild spaces where bees can get to pollinate plants so if you want to help bees even if you live in the center of a city somewhere just plant some pollinating plants yeah, and you're helping the bees. It's just that's the simplest way of doing it. Yeah, because like ah, the, the machines that I make, the tiny machines that I make, are called killer bees. All right, yeah. And because um, they're kind of fat and round and got a bit of a sting in the tail, so it just sort <laughs> of. And um, you know, I've done stuff where I've like let's say raffled off a machine to uh with the intention of giving the money to a mm. bee charity and i'm never going to do that again because what i found is it isn't that easy to give money to a bee charity because all this save the bees bullshit doesn't really exist mm. there's um there's people that uh would campaign about saving the bees but they're not doing anything actually finding somebody who's doing something about mm. it is bloody difficult the the only pe the, the, these the, there isn't any organizations it's just independent beekeepers mm. doing their bit yeah it, there isn't an organization behind yeah, yeah. the save the bees thing there's no charities there's no there's no organization at all it's just independent yeah. people going around saying yeah. save the bees yeah, with some high-level government office and whatever it might be saying, we have a strategy for whatever. But that's one of the things that I've noticed very, very much since coming out of the military is that there are a shitload of people who can strategize till the, to their heart's content. They can develop strategies and high-level plans for all sorts of things. And, 
And what we prided ourselves in the military was is that we were the guys that turned the strategy into action. Yeah. And and then when you have that conversation, and I've had it with a couple of charities that I've worked with in Africa, who were Western Western run, uh, American or German or um, or British, and not only do they have this strategic mindset and this strategy in their mind they start telling us how we've to apply the strategy on the ground and shit you know some of them have never even been in Africa mm. and they think that we're blockers because we say that'll not work you can't do that that'll not work and I get to a point where when I'm about to deploy a team or when we're going to do a program and um, wherever it may be where I, I actually have to get to the point with them quite bluntly and say, right, okay, what effect do you want me to achieve? What is your intent? What effect? You, if you tell me what effect you want me to achieve at the end of it, yeah, just let me get on with it. We'll, we'll do it. Don't try and micromanage us or turn the screws in the machine from all, with that big long screwdriver all the way from America. Just let us do it. We've got the tools. We know how to do it. We work with local partners who know what they're doing, who've lived and breathed it. Even I don't go over it. Even I, all the time I spend over there, although I'm leading a lot of the the, the deployments and, and and developing the, the, the training plans and implementing those training plans, I don't for one minute sit there and do that in isolation. I'll sit down with some of the experienced rangers on the ground who live and breathe it every single day. And and I don't tell them what I think should happen. I basically say, we've got a pot of money here to achieve this effect. How are you going to use that money to achieve that effect? And sometimes they'll come back and say, that's not the effect that we need. And then I have to take that back to the strategist and say, Great strategy, guys. Mister, you've completely missed the point. This is what we really need on the ground. Not all that stuff. Mm. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of misconceptions about anti-poaching, and and uh, and you know some of it is some of it is is the way it is. Um, there is a lot. There is there is a war going on over there with poachers. It absolutely is a war, and if you think about any war that's being fought, you've got to have your foot soldiers on the ground. <coughs> you've got to have your foot soldiers on the ground who have got to <coughs> operate at that point where the metal meets the meat. Yeah. And that's always going to be needed. However, behind all of that is a whole other part of the anti-poaching operation, because if you want to deploy, you've got to know where you're deploying. You've got to know where you need to have a presence on the ground. You've got to understand the migration routes. You've got to understand the, the seasonal differences between where these animals are going to be, what they're going to be eating, and what it is that's going to drive people into the bush to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and when you get into the big five stuff, with the, the big five being the, the elephant, the rhino, Buffalo, lion, cheetah, and leopard. When you get to that level, where they're, particularly when it comes to ivory and rhino horn, it's part of 
global organized crime, which is big shit. There's a lot of money in this. And they will, they'll kill people for it. They'll kill you if you're involved in that, in that job. Do you think that like them outlawing ivory and saying, right, it's illegal now from this point on has made any effect on this or is it just went in a sense maybe made it worse because now it's more taboo it's you know has it, has it had any effect in that actually on the ground of people you know not doing it as much because it's harder there's there's been some in there's been some impact on it with it um the difficulty is it's not the craft shops in johannesburg that are selling a carved ivory jewelry that's yeah. the problem it's it's the the big it's the industry it's the it's a bigger industry it's the it's, it's the the rich chinese or um or wherever saudi arabian or american or british person that wants a set of tusks in their office because it looks gucci um or it's the the medicinal requirements that they they think they're going to get from rhino horn which is made out of nothing no different to your fingernails it's just thicker it's just the same stuff um, is is rhino horn and ivory the same thing no no so ivory is a tooth right so ivory is is the elephant an elephant's tooth the rhino's horn is like uh it's got it's got a blood supply. It's a, it's like your fingernails. It grows. It grows like your fingernails. Whereas you, you, your teeth get to a certain size, and then as you get and you get older, and then they start to degrade after time. So, right. so, so, so ivory is slightly different. Um, the 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 different the biggest difference is is that you can take ivory from an elephant without killing the elephant. Right. You can't take rhino's horn without it having a significant impact on. The rhino, you can you can you can reduce its horn and size by in the same way as you can cut your fingernails, so you can cut them down to make them less attractive. Yet that's not the answer. Um, so what the porch is? I know before we hit the record button, you said about um, one of the most heartbreaking things is seeing these rhinos dying slowly because they don't kill them. They just no, yeah. They they wound them, tie them down or something, or chain them down or whatever, and and then do they use tranquilizers or no? They they don't use tranquilizers. They 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 use low velocity low low velocity weapons, um, to to disable the creature so that it drops, or they'll try to paralyze it with a lucky shot and along its spinal cord or something like that. But the creature's still alive, and then they just hack the the horn off. And leave them. Um, so that rhino is going to essentially bleed, just gonna bleed to death. To death yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's an open wound, and it's. And of course, then once the rhino's down and it's 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 got an open wound and it's it's struggling, um, then uh, you get the the lion, the, the yeah. hyenas, jackals, yeah. other creatures will just come and start feeding on it before it's dead as well. So, um, but that's Africa. Africa's a vicious violent place um it doesn't need to be any more violent because of people yeah it's already pretty pretty brutal yeah um you just you just need to watch uh, 
a cheetah to take a take an impala and you see how brutal it is and it's just done hugely clinically fast it's just they take them down you'll, you'll people have seen it on the telly but to be there and to see it in reality is very different because you can hear the noises yeah. you can you can hear it and how it works and and the cheetah almost matter-of-factly just sits and finishes it off by clamping down on the windpipe waiting for it to die you know, I, I, it's just making us think about all these people, and I ain't dissing it, but like, who get the wild animal tattoos. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, they haven't really got a fucking clue. No. And, 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 but how, how, how can we? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We are from England, and all we know about what we're talking about right now is what we see on the yeah, telly, yeah. and that's fucking edited and censored and all that sort of stuff. And yes, David Attenborough probably put, puts out some pretty brutal stuff, I, I, you know. But to be there, and like you said, mm. to actually fucking hear the sounds, yeah. the bones crunching, the Smell. animals screaming, the smells—you can smell it. It's, sens it's sensory overload. It's um, you're what do you mean when you it? can smell it. What can you can smell? Death? Or oh, you can smell the you can smell the blood. You can smell the uh, um, you can. You, you can smell pretty much... Well, Africa's got a smell of its own anyway. Yeah. Um, which I... Uh, which I thrive on, to be honest, because it's just... It's, as soon as you get off the plane, when I deploy, you open the doors open, and you get hit by the heat, and the, you can just sniff up, and it's just like... I'm just like, I'm home, you know? It's, it's, right. it, it, uh, unless you've been again, unless you've been there. I know there's places I've went on holiday and you get off the plane and there's like a sulfury sort of smell yeah, in the yeah, air straight yeah. away. Uh, like you say, and, and who's ever thought about that before? You know what I mean? Like, like, like we don't think about that, do we? You know, like, there's, and, and then again, like the smell of the blood, the smell of the, it's you won't everything. get much rot in meat. Oh God, no. Lying about, because no, it'll, it'll uh, it, it all gets used, the earth takes it. I've seen it, last time I was, last time I was over, um, was it Botswana? It was in Botswana. We we saw a, a dead warthog. A dead. It was a dead warthog. It was there the day before, and we came back, back past it. Warthogs like a wild pig. Yeah, they're the ones with the big tusks. Tusks. Yeah, yeah, crazy little, crazy little buggers there. Yeah. But um, we saw one of them, and then we went, we went into camp. We came out of camp the next morning, and it had moved. All right, All right. We went out. Did tasking we were on and we came back in and it moved again so we thought we're, we're going to put a we've got camera traps you put these cam like yeah. um, remote cameras put a camera trap on it and then yeah it was slowly being moved by uh by ants <laughs> wow <laughs> they were taking it to the anthill slowly and then stopping for a rest and having a bit of a trough on it and then moving it a bit longer <laughs> it's uh yeah a, a dead warthog moving on its own Wow. Yeah, nothing, nothing surprises me. But I think the key thing, when we talk about the smell and being aware of it, nobody really thinks about it. You don't need to go to Africa for that. You don't, you know, just... How many people ever take the time out just to switch everything off? Switch everything off in their life and just get outside and actually notice what's around them. Yeah. Smell what's around them, hear what's going on Using around them. Using your senses. Yeah. Reconnect. Mental health 
issues in the UK are huge at the minute. And I think if someone was to go to their doctor and say, I'm depressed, I'm stressed, I'm having all these things, I'm getting panic, panic attacks, and all that stuff, if the doctor said to you, I can give you, I can give you a, a pill that costs nothing, costs the taxpayer nothing, and that you can have a, an endless supply of for the rest of your life, would you take it? Of course you would. And all it is is just nature, outdoors. Go to a wood, sit down with your back against a tree and just watch what goes on around you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, pay attention, like you say. Yeah. Listen and smell. Think, like, you know, on that subject, just getting off your fucking ass and doing something. Yeah. I, I, I've got quite strong views on depression. I don't say that it doesn't exist, but I do say that there's an element of choice you can you can choose to sit there and think about mm. the things that you don't want and you don't mm. like in life or you can get off your for, for example go and help somebody yeah right you feel you know like you feel like you need help try helping someone yeah. else yeah and yeah. yeah it'll change your life you know absolutely yeah no you're absolutely right yeah yeah, yeah. You, you sort of hit the nail on the head there, you know, it's, it's often, if you think about, I mean, I'm, I, I study a lot of ancient philosophies and things like that, and so, like, the best one, I think, for anybody that hasn't really got a grip of how they can deal with what they think is causing them mental, mental harm is stoicism. And people think, oh, stoics, they, you know, beat themselves and ignore pain that's not what it's about stoicism is about controlling the controllables and letting go of the things that you can't control it's as simple as that right. is it within my sphere of influence can i make a difference if i can't make a difference if it's not within my sphere of influence then you know just let it go i'm not going to break into song from frozen but yeah it's it's true i think it's and, and again, there's an element of ego in there as well. It's your ego that's telling you that you deserve something different when actually you say, you say help somebody else. You'll help yourself. And other people would say that um, what you've got is exactly, you know, what you deserve. Like, it's the, the, and, and, and it can sound harsh as anything, mm. but um, the... Generally, people look. I'm a big believer in that quote that's written on the wall over there. All we are is a result of what we have thought. Absolutely, yeah. Everything yeah. we are now is a result of the thoughts that we yeah. had in the past and the actions that we took yeah. based on them. Now, like my dad died, and that made me feel depressed. I've never felt so depressed when yeah. my dad died, and so I'm not saying that depression's not real because I have been there. I yeah. was a fucking dribbling mess. Yeah. Do you know what the thing that stopped me deep being that? depressed was? I got off my ass and I fucking done something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I was yeah. like, I'm sick of this. Yeah. I'm sick of this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and, you know, create something. I had an idea, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go and do that. Do and I, I just did it. And then, yeah. I, do you know what? I had another idea, and I was like, ah, do you know what? I'm gonna go and do that. And and a matter of like fucking weeks had gone by, and I looked back and I thought, because I was suffering really badly from anxiety as mm. well. I was having pains, yeah, like yeah, I felt yeah. like I was having yeah. a fucking heart attack. Yeah. And. You know, I knew that was my head creating a physical feeling, yeah. 
And I'd even been to see psychiatrists about it and stuff. And, you know, because they were saying there was nothing wrong with your heart. But it wasn't till I decided I am fucking sick of feeling shit. Yeah. I'm gonna go and do something, and I got up my ass and done something, and in a matter of fucking weeks, I was not depressed yeah. anymore. In fact, I, I was starting to live the fucking. That was the start of mm. me living the best life ever. Yeah, yeah. You know. And and talking about living the best life ever, there we've only got one. This isn't a fucking dress rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you, it's not. And living the best life ever is about being authentically you. Yeah. And if you can't let go of something like a job title or I mean I work a lot with veterans that's what the charity does it's veterans for wildlife is the charity and we oh. repurpose veteran skills in conservation yeah and um, yeah. predominantly on our anti-poaching world yeah um, and one of the things that they really struggle with is the fact that yesterday they were a sergeant major and today they're not sure what they are because their entire life they've been aspiring to be a sergeant major and now they're not mm. and it's like so right let's work out who you are then and and that's where they so being authentically you is is actually you know sometimes you've just got to let go of some of this fucking baggage mm. yeah like and I don't know, not knowing who you are, not knowing what you like to mm. do and not having a purpose in life is another massive root of depression. I bet you're so happy. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, like, like, cause you are really doing stuff that, that, that you love every day and you, when you're not doing it, you're thinking about it and you've got a passion for life that, that you've got purpose. You've got, you've got a hell it's, of a purpose it, in life, you know, and, and like, I can't see how it would be possible for you to be depressed. Yes, someone might die and you might feel down. Yeah. That's normal. You can't, you know, stop. You can't control but, that. Everybody but, but dies. You're, you're not going to go and say, oh, I need a pill to fix no, this because, no. you, like you say, you go, out, go outside, breathe some fresh air, yeah. look at, watch a fucking sunrise, watch a sunset, you know, like, it's, uh, That's another one. I like that. Sunrise and sunset. That's interesting, isn't it? That's human ego, by the way. Yeah. That's the ego of humanity. Right. Because if you if you got in there if you got into a into a space rocket and flew out into space and looked at the earth. Yeah. The sun doesn't fucking move. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We've, we've we've created this reality for ourselves where the sun comes up and goes down when actually it's not moving. We we're, we're moving. The earth's moving. Yeah. And so you're not watching the sun set, no. you're watching the rotation of yeah, the earth happening. Yeah. Um, but we do, we create a reality for ourselves and yeah. we, believe that we believe our reality through what we created. Yeah. So humanity has actually created that reality that the sun rises and sets. Alan Watts is a philosopher, describes kind of this as, uh, if you imagine ink, and I think it's very relevant because yeah, there's yeah, splatter and yeah. ink everywhere. Uh, and comparing it to the Big Bang, so like you splatter some ink on a piece of paper and where it hit the paper is where the Big Bang happened. And the, the, as the, the splatters of ink go further out to the edge, they get smaller and more yeah. complex. Well, that's us, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and so we are the Big Bang. Um, you know, we're just a happening of that. It's still happening. We are we are part of that. If the Big Bang was really a thing, um, which you know, well, I, I, it doesn't matter. 
you know, that's the, another question. Yeah, you know, yeah, does it not, matter? It, not, it is, not really on the whole scheme of things, is, does it? It is what it is, and yeah. we are where we are. And, and, and as well, we humanity have got to start doing things differently. Because actually, you know, in the, in, the, in the history of the earth, humanity is a, a speck of dust on the timeline. Yeah. And you know what? When people talk about the end of the world and Armageddon and the, you know, the end of the world, end of whose world? The earth will be here in some shape or form, even if it's a gaseous form in billions of years' time. Yeah. It still exists. It's the end of the world is what? End of humanity? Or is that the end of the world? The end of reality as you as know, it. know the, it. The yeah. end of yeah. your existence, yeah. maybe. The, um, but yeah, you're right. The, the world's not gonna. We don't. We don't really. We don't really. You know, there's so, like I said earlier on. There's so much we can learn from some of our some of our sort of our closest Aboriginal relatives on the earth. That you know, for example, in in again back to the Bushmen or to the Zulu or the Corsa tribes, wherever you are, um, they they feel a real connection to their ancestors. Mm-hmm. And they feel that they are an extension of something bigger than them, and because they don't, their their reality isn't doesn't revolve around them as people. Again, ego. Mm-hmm. They have a very different outlook on life. So, I am because you are. You said yourself, it's quite a powerful statement. I am because we are. It's if you weren't here, I wouldn't. I might as well not exist. You know, that's that mm. bigger than yourself kind of thing. Mm. And I mean, I carve opals. I buy opal from the oh, Australian yeah. miners, yeah. and um, you know that these are like fossilized shells, and it's forty fucking million, million years, years old. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and and like yeah. this is long before yeah, yeah, man or, yeah. or even. I don't know, dinosaurs, but some of these are like shell creatures that have yeah. like sank to the bottom of the ocean, yeah. uh, silt settled on top, 20 meters of silt and sediment and whatnot, and then this inland ocean got blocked off by some sort of like tectonic event, and then it dried up, and then all the minerals in the water eventually concentrated yeah. into mineral soup and formed opal underneath the ground. Like, the Earth's been doing its shit long before oh, yeah. fucking yeah. we existed, and, and it, it'll be doing its it shit long after. It will. Unless some sort of massive asteroid comes that blows the planet to pieces. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. It's just one, it's, again, it's only really trying to focus on the, the shit that we can control and what did you call that ism? What was the, that what was that religion? Stoicism. Stoicism. What? What's that? I've not. Stoicism was. I've a, heard of stoicism, but I do not know what it is. Ancient Greek philosophy. Right. Um, and um, the Roman emperor uh, Marcus Aurelius was a real follower of stoicism, and he actually used to write his daily. Because he was a great general, he was a great warrior, great general, um, but he was known to be very fair, regardless of what you might 
you know, he's, he's the emperor in the beginning of the film, Gladiator, the one that died. But it, it's a bit of a bad, mis, bad misrepresentation of who he was. But, but he, he was, and he used to write it down his, um, he used to write it down every day, what certain things that he would come, some of the things that he would come up with and some of his sayings that really hold true now, today, you know, as mm. and and they've been re regurgitated in lots of leadership yeah. self help books and things like that. Right. And um, Stephen Covey wrote Seven um, Habits of Successful Managers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven Seven Habits of Highly Successful that's People. It. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah Seven yeah. Habits of Sadie. Most of that is based in Stoicism. It's ancient. It's not new shit. Yeah. Hasn't dreamed it up. Um, just a little outtake of that book. Um, so he said that he told the story about a man getting on the I think it was the New York subway or something might have been London it could be any subway and it's a Sunday morning and it's all quiet that, you know mm. after the chaos of the night before you know like there's been all the parties and the people out on the piss and that and uh, this guy gets on a train, and uh, on the on the is it called a train? Yeah, it's, oh, whatever. Tube, we'll call, yeah. tube, yeah. And he, he he gets on it, and uh, it's all quiet, and people are sort of just sitting reading the newspapers and what yet. And then this guy gets on, and he's got like three kids, and uh, he gets on the train, and he sits down, and um, he. Uh, he just slumps in his chair and his kids are really messing on in the carriage they're jumping about like carrying on playing <clears throat> hitting people's newspapers running about and really disturbing the peace that you know was you know on, on in, in the carriage a few minutes before sort of thing and this guy's not doing anything about it and the guy's looking and thinking, you know what, what, what you're not going to do anything and eventually he goes up to the guy and he says look would you mind like trying to control your kids a bit they're, they're really upsetting people they're, you know they're causing chaos and the guy looks up and he says yeah I suppose I'd better do something uh, don't really know what to do we've just came from the hospital the man's just died mm -hmm. so instantly that situation changed mm -hmm. you know like it went from uh, frustration and a little yeah. bit of anger maybe to compassion mm. by understanding yeah. what was the real story behind it and yeah. not just looking on on yeah. the face of it you know so like you can be pissed off about something yeah yeah but at the same time if you really understand it mm. that feeling that emotion could turn right on its head and yeah. turn into compassion you know, and that guy turned around and says, "Look, is there anything that I can do? Is it, you know, do you need yeah. any help? Do you, you know?" Um, and it went, it went from frustration to to, yeah. to compassion. So that's, and, uh, that's out of that yeah. book. Seek to understand before being understood. Yeah. Before trying to be understood. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's stoicism. That's right. from yeah. stoic. Okay. Stoic sort of, and it's it's in. I mean, a lot of what I do is, it's again, it's 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 so broad, but it's like coaching. I, working with veterans, a lot of them are 
like myself, combat veterans, they've, 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 done, they've done stuff, they've seen stuff, and they, they still haven't necessarily come to terms with it. I, I have, um, but I'm very fortunate in that sense. And sometimes just being listened to, properly listened to, can make a huge difference to someone. Mm. And I, I'll have sort of a conversation and it'll be like, you know, so what's on your mind? What's going on? And then they'll tell you something. And the most powerful thing, thing you can do is not try and provide a solution, it's to ask another question. So, what else is on your mind? Do that a few times, have a conversation, have that conversation with them. Instead of going, what you should curious. do is this. If I were you, you know, that's just... Yeah. I mean, I... I my adage is, you know, I don't give advice because advice is my opinion and my opinion isn't yours. So I try to help people understand properly what it is that's causing them to feel the way they are. And they, it's, it's massively helpful. It's how, how I got helped. I got coached. I had a coach. And... I was so caught up in blaming everybody else for why I felt the way that I did about stuff that I never really thought about what what I wanted to feel like. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, so it's like, what do, all right, and we shouldn't have joined the army. Well, I did, yeah, I know you did. So you've done this, you've been there, you've done the job. Now it's bothering you. Um, and you're really angry because it's bothering you and you're blaming everybody else for it. What, what is it that you want to feel like? Do you not want to have had that experience? Do you want to press rewind on your life and not do that? Well, no, actually, I don't, because my experience is who I am and it's what made me who I am. Yep. So how do you want to feel? Again, all we are is the result mm. of what we have thought. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I said That's about right, my, yeah. my, my dad dying and it made me think a certain way. A few years later, yeah. my mum died. Right. And... She died in a completely different way. It was unexpected. My dad died of stomach cancer. Yeah. My mum died because she fell over yeah. in the bathroom and, and yeah. hit her head on the sink. Jesus. You know? And, um, but for some reason, even though I was close to both of my parents, yeah. it hit me in a completely different way. You know, yeah. I don't think that, uh, um, for some, for some reason, I, 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 I I had a different level of acceptance yeah. of my mum dying, yeah. you know, like yeah. you come to terms with the fact that your parents are going to die when the first one goes, yeah. you know, yeah. and so, so a similar situation, but a totally different feeling. I chose not to let it tear me up. I, I chose not to, yeah. you know, and I think my daughter had said, you know, like, why hasn't dad got upset about his mum dying, she was more upset about it than I was, you yeah. know, and it wasn't that I wasn't upset, you know, and of course I was, but I just dealt with it differently, yeah. and, and that was like, I think, partly from the experience, well, yeah. largely from the experience of, of my dad dying and, and learning to cope with with grief. And and, and, and you're absolutely, the, the word that you used is really interesting, actually, Rich, because... Um, you said you chose not to let it bother, and that's it. We we make a choice as to how we're going to show up in yeah. life every day. Yeah. 
if you choose to be pissed off with the world, then fair play, be pissed off with the world, but don't, don't come and try and rub that on me because I'm afraid it's not sticking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not having it. Um, the world is not all bad. The world is not all good. People are not generally not all bad. And people are generally not all good. People are a product of their choices. Yeah. All we are is the result of what we've thought. Absolutely, yeah. And, it, and again, you can... I guess ancient Chinese philosophy, they say, you know, if you think it, you can be it. Yeah. If you can think it, you can do it. You can achieve it. And I totally agree with that as well. But what you've got to, what you've got to know is that you can't just... So I think, what was it? My daughter went through a phase when she was younger. She went through a phase of um, the secret or something. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, the manifestation of yeah, the future yeah. and everything. And, and I'd sit and she'd say, I said, what are you doing? She says, oh, I'm just manifesting. I said, what are you manifesting? I'm yeah. manifesting being a, mil being a millionaire and I'm this, that, and I said, <laughs> I said, that's fantastic. How are you going to do that then? I'm just going to manifest it. Yes. I said, no, you're missing the point here. Yeah. Yeah, by all means, visualise where you want to be. Now, that's how elite sportsmen that's how we operated in some of the units I served in the military you you you, you visualize every stage of the operation so that you've already mentally rehearsed it in your mind yeah. to, to have a successful outcome and um, by all means visualize it but you know what you're going to actually have to get dressed today and fucking do something if yeah. you're going to get anywhere near that yeah but th this yeah. is a, a societal thing as well I, I'm a, a, a big believer in the secret this building yeah. th this business yeah is built on the secret yeah the the, the killer bees are built yeah. using the secret but you've got to do something it's, yes yeah, yeah yeah you've got to have the idea yeah. you've got to get yeah. passionate about it you've got to construct it in your mind yeah. and, and and then get up and do yeah. the things that you need yeah. to do yes things will come into your life that help you along the way yeah um but if your energy's right and i'm a well, also you've got to be deserving that. you've got to be deserving yeah. if you're wanting something and you don't deserve it if you haven't contributed to, to to life to other people to to society in in a correct way then you don't deserve nothing and why would yeah uh, let's just call it mother nature the universe yeah why, why would the universe give you something more when you're not grateful for what, what you've, you've got, got. Yeah. and what you'll find is yeah. that every depressed person is doing nothing but being ungrateful yeah. Yeah. for what they yeah. haven't got yeah absolutely yeah you know or what they got yeah. that they didn't like yeah. right it, it's it a lot of depression yeah, yeah. comes from mass lack of gratitude yeah and it's impossible to feel depressed Absolutely. when you're feeling grateful you yeah. so, so, so like one of the biggest things with the secret yeah isn't to go i want this i want that i oh. want the other it's to go I, I'm, I'm fucking grateful i am so grateful for the fucking eyes to see the air yeah, to yeah, breathe yeah, the legs yeah. to walk yeah. the the animals in nature yeah. the fucking plants the bees the Everything. fucking the food on my plate my family See, people say, oh, I've got nothing to be grateful for, my life's shit. But then, like... Change it. Yeah, change it. And, and what will help, like, you know, help change it is be grateful for what you've got because nobody who's complaining about the stuff that they've already got, oh, if they're ungrateful, why would you give... You wouldn't give no. your kids anything no. extra if they've been ungrateful no. for the stuff that, you, that, that you've got. Well, that's how the fucking universe works it as is. well. It is. And, and a lot of people are always like, 
like striving to be I mean Christ some of the some of the work that I've done I've met some immensely immensely rich people people that own islands and yeah you know that they, they are they are massively rich people. You know, they're multi-billionaires. Are, they, are these the people through, like, the big game hunting and that? People well, are it's, out there? It's, it's people that I've worked with in another sort of sphere of, right. of things that I do. And, yeah. um, and it's, they're not happy. They are, they are just not happy. These people are not happy. They're, so if you, if you become a millionaire, a lot of these people, they work to become a millionaire... They're not happy, so they think they need more. So they'll they'll, they'll work to be a billionaire, to be a billionaire. And and I, I was getting a pretty crappy day rate for one of the jobs I was doing, and I, and I didn't kick, kick up a stink about it because I believed in what it, it was what it was I was doing. And one of the big donors, one of these big rich people, came and talked to me. He said, "How can you be happy with that?" And he was, then he started rattling on about how he just managed to get his new boat and he was going to be taking it into Monte Carlo and and and, I, and he was rattling on about it and then. And I'm saying, well, why do you never smile, mate? He's like, oh, well, this is shit, that's shit, this other shit. So that's why I'm going to go and I'm going to set up this new business and we're going to get this and that and the other. And he's just like, what? And, and I couldn't really get my head on, but I listened to a, I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember who it was, who it was listening to, but it struck the nail on the head for me because the guy said, um, similar sort of situation that they were in. And he said that, I've got something that you'll never have. I've got enough. You've got no concept concept of what enough is. You're struggling, aren't you? Mm-hmm. What I've found with, because um, like a lot of tattoo sessions, you know, people will you know pour their hearts out and they'll you know tell yeah. you about their life and that, and they'll generally like kind of a lot of people will complain about the stuff that they don't have that yeah. you know and and. Oh, my life's not this and like that. I'll say to them, go on then. What do you want? Mm. You know, and it says this in the secret. What do you really want? Write it down, right? So I'll say to people, come on, what what do you want then? What do you want your life to be? If you're not happy with the way it is, you know, because obviously because you're sat there complaining about it, uh, how do you want your life to be? And they'll go, I don't know. I say, all right (laughs) then, mate, come on, describe your life to me when you're... 60 yeah you know what what kind of car do you want to drive what how, how much what kind of house how much money do you want in the bank what what will make you happy mm. and uh we'll go oh, oh, i just want you know a nice car and want to want to be able to you know pay my bills and um mm. so it's it's never it's never defined and yeah. so, no, that's not what I'm asking. Tell me exactly what you want. No, no, God, I don't know. I don't know what I want. I just want to be happy. I said, right, yeah, I said, brilliant. Okay, then, yeah. what makes you happy? Yeah. What will make you happy? Yeah, yeah. And do you know what the answer is? Every one of them. I don't know. They go, I don't know. Yeah. So the only thing that you really want in life is to be happy, but you don't know what will make you happy. Yeah. Yeah. Another quote that I like is um, everything that you need is within reach. This is a double barrel quote, yeah. two separate yeah, quotes yeah. put together. Everything you need is within reach. And if you develop that belief, yeah. you'll keep on looking, right? Yeah. If you don't believe that what you are looking for is within reach, then you're not going to fucking look. Yeah. 
But second part of it is finding is a luxury reserved for the seekers. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, got to yeah, be yeah, looking powerful, for it, innit? Yeah. Yeah. So like people don't know what they yeah. want and they ain't bothering to get off the ass and fucking go and look for it. Yeah. How are they ever going to find this shit? It. They yeah. are doomed. Yeah, they're doomed a, to be fucking miserable. They're, they're in a circle of despair, aren't they? Yeah. Just, just winding round and round and round. And so, I think... So you you say about how this is a product of, of the seat. I didn't I didn't I've read it. But I didn't I didn't I never really thought about it. But I, I went through a, a period where I was at a pretty senior job. I was doing nine to five. I was knocking my pan in to make the person above me's bonus bigger. Yeah. And I was I was earning a decent wage, you know. And I, I was like, well, why the fuck am I so miserable? Yeah. And. And, and then I just sort of, I'm right, okay, so what is it that makes you, t- what is it that makes you tick? What is it that makes you buzz? And it's taken that step to asking that question of yourself that I truly believe is the start to the, to, to the authentic and fulfilled self. And, and that's when I reconnected with the conservation stuff. And, you know, I mean, crikey, you can make, you can make a hell of a lot of money in, the, uh, in the in the private security sector all over the world, yeah, you know, yeah. you can be and you could have easily done you can, that. You can guard high net worth families. You can make a lot of money doing that kind of thing. But actually, if it's not the money that's making you happy, because money doesn't make you happy. No. It's, you know, you, it it just it drives people apart. You know, everybody's trying to everybody's striving for the 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 the, the next big car or the next new the next iPhone or the the designer dogs the you know everybody wants to be better than somebody else in the way that they're doing things and you lose sight of what it actually is and like you say it's you've got to really dig deep and look for it and when you look for it sometimes you've just got to look inside mm-hmm. look around you because everything you need everything is within reach, within reach yeah. it's right yeah. in front of you it's there you know yeah. um, the thing that you're looking for often you've already got you know yeah yeah you're just not you're just not using it right yeah I mean, it's obviously it's off subject of the thing but you'd be able to look at your life really if you fully understand stood the law of attraction and how it works that's probably um, i'm probably the epitome of it to be honest because i exactly I've, I've, i just you just do it and i and i try to help other people with that now with veterans here's another quote for you Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss and doors will oh, open yeah. where there were only walls. Absolutely, yeah. And that's what you're doing. Yeah, you're, that's the hero's journey stuff, isn't it? Yeah. So and That's um, absolutely right, yeah. You know, people are, are doing jobs that they don't want to do, living a, mm-hmm. a, a meaningless life that's just the yeah. same that week as it is the next week as it was three weeks before yeah. and nothing ever changes. That is fucking depressing. It's no wonder it's people not, no are wonder. depressed. I mean, another one of Joe Campbell's great sayings. I, I, I love. I, I use it quite a lot with people just for them to get their head around it. It's quite deep, but it's all the gods, all the heavens, all the hells are within you. Mm. That's that. When you really truly think about that statement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You can you can create yeah. fucking hell on earth very fucking easily in your head without even going out your bloody house yeah. you know but the one way that like 
explain the law of attraction to, to people who, who don't understand it and maybe new to it. Um, I use this analogy as an example. If, um, let's just say you wanted a particular car and I use, mm. I think it's a 1971 Camaro, mm -hmm. Chevrolet Camaro, which is the, the car that is Bumblebee out of the Transformers oh, yeah, yeah, film, yeah, right? Nice. Very, very yeah. specific yeah, car, specific, right? Yeah. So where you sat in England and you decide you're having a bit of a midlife crisis. Yeah, yeah, you think, yeah. fuck it, I, I, I've one always one. wanted one of them. I've always liked them. I, I, I want me a fucking bright yeah. yellow 1971 yeah. Camaro, right? And so the first thing you do is you jump on eBay and you have a look and there's nothing there. But you're not giving up. So yeah. you buy yourself an auto trader and there's fuck all there either. There's similar, but there isn't that 1971 yellow Camaro. Camaro. But you don't give up on it. Mm. You, you've now like um, you've put pictures of it up on the wall yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. You, you've got a poster of it you're buying magazines about American cars you're, you're looking in the American market see what you can yeah, find still yeah. nothing popping up right but like this desire for this car is really building into into a love into yeah, a passion yeah, yeah. into an emotion because this shit's got to be emotionalized you it's can't just be. mentally want yeah, something connect your that's head not your enough yeah, you know you, yeah you've got to connect your head yeah. with your heart and also, like, just as a little side note, people don't do anything about what they want until they are completely intolerant of the situation that they've got. Yeah. You know, that you can want a fucking Camaro yeah. all, all you want, but until you're pig sick of the car that you've yeah. got, you might yeah. not go and get it. You know, you, you've yeah. got to have, it's a double-sided thing. You've got to want it bad enough, but you've also got to be sick, and, same as depression. You've got to be yeah. sick to death of being depressed before you actually do anything about getting something else. Yeah. It's all right, no depressed person wants to be depressed. No, no. But until they become totally intolerant <laughs> of being depressed, yeah. that's when they do something yeah. about it. But anyway, this, this so you're, you're now emotionalized this yeah. Camaro, right? You, you've even got a fucking tattoo of the bloody Absolutely. thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so meantime, over in America, where these cars come from, there's a, a, a woman stood in the, in the garage. Her husband's just died and she's looking at like having to clear out all his stuff. And in this garage is a fucking bright yellow Perfect. 1971 Camaro, yeah. right? Her son walks in, man, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just thinking about what we're gonna do with your dad's car. Well, you know, I don't want it. I've got a Porsche, da, 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 da. You, You're not gonna drive it, you stop driving yeah. anymore. Yeah. Let's just sell it, yeah. you know, and you can spend the money and go on holiday or whatever. Ah, well, I'll do a sell it. Just put it, I'll put it on eBay for yeah. you. So, son goes along and fucking lists this car on eBay. Now, who has got <laughs> saved searches on eBay yeah. a 1971 yellow fucking Camaro? You, yeah. right? And so, as soon as that gets listed, you get a notification saying one of them's just been listed. You're bing, jump on it, place your fucking bid or, or, or send them an offer yeah. and... and Boom, now you've made the transaction yeah. and within a matter of weeks that car yeah. is on a boat, gets shipped to the UK and now it is on your drive. Okay? So from your point of view, the person who doesn't understand the way the universe yeah. works, you think that you got yourself that Camaro through your continual looking and yeah, the efforts yeah, that you yeah, put in yeah. and like yeah i, I fucking yeah. I've, i eventually found one right yeah. 
what I'm saying is that car was yours. That very car <laughs> was yours as soon as you made the decision you that it. you wanted it. Yeah. And it was coming to you as much as you were going to it. Yeah. No, there I was a man that. dying to that. make it possible yeah, for yeah, you to yeah. have that thing yeah. and that had to happen. Yeah. You didn't see that. You didn't see that part yeah. of that car's journey of it coming to you. But it was. As soon as you made that decision, mm. that very car no, right. was yours. And that's that's how we attract stuff, you know? But it's, it's got to be emotional. It's, it's absolutely right. Things just drop in your lap. Once you make that decision, that uh, you say you cannot tolerate where you are now, once you make that decision, make the choice to do something different. Yeah. If so long as you've got a really clear understanding of who you are and what your what your purpose is, the shit will fall in your lap. And it's not because it's not by it it is exactly right. It stuff I've see I see it all the time. I I with even myself. This this work that I'm doing with with veterans for wildlife. I've been focused on it for so long, passionate about it, making inroads, trying to get into, trying to get out of one sector into the into the other sector, and my passion and my motivation to get involved in what I'm doing now. All of a sudden, I kept meeting people. All of a sudden, I'd get yeah. an email off someone saying, "I hear you're interested in," and all of a sudden, it's yeah. like. We've got an opportunity because the first trip I did was Cameroon. I've got an opportunity. We've got a volunteering opportunity. It was a voluntary opportunity to go yeah. to Cameroon to train some rangers. So I took it. I went and came back. They liked what what I did. They understood what I did. And then, literally within months of coming back from my first trip to Cameroon, the charity employed me as their head of operations. Yeah. It's just like what. Fuck. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. This, this yeah. is how it works, and you're following your bliss. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you, yeah. it's not about the money. No, you're just doing stuff that you want yeah. to do personally, and, and that 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 you'd love to do. That, yeah. that, that help you grow and. It's the journey for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether you've read or watched the the the, the film "The Journey's the Destination." It's about a, no. a young African guy, a young. Um, uh, Kenyan American, British American guy who, um, guy, guy called Dan Eldon, and he, he, he graduated from school and everything, lived in Kenya and everything like that. And then he decided he was just going to go and take photographs of shit and do a bit of travelling around. And they did loads of humanitarian work and all sorts of stuff. Long story short, he ended up with a massive sort of uh, portfolio of creative pictures and 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 uh, and quotes and notes and eventually he ended up in um, in Mogadish, Mogadishu when the Americans were going in just before the Black Hawk Down thing happened and um, anyway he, he got stoned to death when he was 21, 22 because he ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time but one of the things, one of the quotes that he brought out was this, is that the journey is the destination mm -hmm. and when you think about that the journey is the destination you have that understanding that you, 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 your whole purpose is about going on this journey. And you think about the hero's journey, which mm -hmm. is a big part of, um, it's another Joseph Campbell thing, isn't it? It's, jo it's Joseph Campbell's, and it's the, that, that hero's journey is the basis of every Hollywood 
blockbuster. Yeah. Think about Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker is living on a with his family in the middle of nowhere, always imagining that there's something else out there, etc., etc. The world he ends up going on this journey. He meets the dark side of himself. He create as goes into the forest. They call it, don't they, in the journey and. He has a, he fights his dragon, if you like, and he comes back the hero, and that doesn't stop happening in your life. You just yeah, no, and the destination yeah keeps on changing because when you get there, that it's just a another waypoint. Step on it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, people's goals in life. Um, you, you know, a, yeah, a lot of people yeah. who again, and and this is. Possibly your, your billionaire that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll more. be happy when I get this. Yeah, and then he's not. And well, the elation of achieving yeah, it might yeah. last like a couple of days and then you start to get used to it. And like, you know, a month later, you're now sort of bored of it. And if you don't reset, mm. um, you, you know, then, then you, your yeah. life's got no purpose anymore. But if that person's telling themselves, I will only be happy once I've got this, then they're dooming themselves to be yeah. ha happy until they've got it, mm. not to be happy until they've got it. And that happiness is only gonna last a yeah. very short period of time. Yeah. Whereas if like, for instance, like that car, I've actually got a car yeah. on the wall over yeah. there and that's a truck that I'm building. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's me visualizing the, yeah. the, the finished yeah. product and everything. Now, I'll be chuffed to bits when I get to that point with it. But I am so, the, the more complex yeah. and the more, in a sense, fucking irritating, the more things that go wrong, mm. the more problems that I yeah. like, yeah. carry on the way. The, the, that, that, yeah. So that's what I'm enjoying. Yeah, yeah. I am having a whale of a time. Uh, this, this has gave me hours and hours yeah. and hours of pleasurable yeah. thought designing the journey is yes. the destination yes. yes yeah you know like the car already exists yeah in my head and creative people have a, yeah. a problem with this because creative people that are good at visualizing are so good at visualizing something yeah. that you can complete a project in your head and that completion in your head can be enough to satisfy <laughs> yeah, yeah, the achievement yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. And then, yeah. so, that, so you then, right, I'm gonna do something else now. And, and, and so yeah. you find that creative people have got a lot of unfinished projects. Yeah. It's not necessarily because like they couldn't be asked with it. Uh, it's because they had a level of, yeah. I've, I've actually got there already, let's do yeah. something or, else. Or, or you're on the journey, you're on that creative journey. And then where you think you're gonna turn left, you decide to turn right and it leads you to something else that you want, that you get to, it's, it's really Well, that's the folly yeah. of bliss, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, and doors will open where there were only walls, do what you love doing, yeah. and more opportunities to love what you, you do will, will, will come up because of you yeah. being in that place and in that, like, mental uh, position, so. And, and so, yeah, you are the personification of, um, you know that quote and essentially when when you look at your life i'm sure you can see how the the law of attraction yeah was working yeah. for you because um you, you know there's some amazing things came into your life it's, you went to it but it came to you yeah. at the same velocity it was always there for me to 
for me. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's. Um, but I just, yeah, I just wish I knew the shit that I knew now when I was twenty-one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think you only come into uh, from the point of view of law of attraction. Call it alignment. Mm. You come into alignment with knowledge yeah. or the experiences when you're ready yeah you yeah. know like yeah. if you're not ready for it like don't force it you know yeah um you know if if, if, if you um uh for if it, if, it, if it was money and you're not like understanding how to make money yeah. or how to keep money yeah. yeah then you get the money and then it then it's gone again yeah you know yeah well yeah it's it's and and again it's true true wealth true wealth isn't nothing about money no it's about that purpose fulfillment understanding that you've you're committing yourself and you're willing to sacrifice yourself for something bigger than yourself and that i think that's in my world I could die, that's it, but that's just always been my world, whether I was army, fire service, or doing what I do now, it's just part of it, but, you know, and that, that's not, that's something I've got, I'm comfortable with, you know, it's, yeah. you know, and uh, another one of Dan Eldon's quote, you know, death is only a horizon, and the horizon is only the limit of our vision, so, you, you, you sort of realise that, and if you, if you believe in, Leaving a legacy, the term legacy again is not is very much aligned with money, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas a legacy isn't about it is it isn't about money, it isn't about houses or material things, it's about how every single engagement you have with another human being allows them to be better at being themselves by having had you or them. I am because we are, you know, it's that. Yeah. Yeah, gone, gone on a bit of a journey with this conversation, haven't we? You call that the law of compensation. Mm. Um, there's a lot of universal laws. Yeah. The, the law of attraction is, yeah. is one of them. We are, we are magnets yeah. and our yeah. thoughts create our feelings and our feelings are the human term that we use for the frequency that our magnetic field mm. is vibrating on and we attract the frequencies that we are feeling yeah so our thoughts create our yeah. feelings we wouldn't have feelings if we didn't yeah. have thoughts and our magnetic field if we're in a if we're happy we say we're happy we're in a high frequency if we say yeah, yeah. we're feeling down yeah. We're in a low frequency, yeah. but a, a bright yellow 1973 Camaro has a certain frequency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything is energy. Yeah. So, um, but there's the, um, you know, that's the law of attraction, but there's the law of compensation. And that states that um, you, you reap what you sow, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And so like to, to expect to have riches when you are doing nothing to yeah, yeah. get those yeah. riches, even that could be down to just being fucking nice to people. Yeah, you know, just, just be being grateful for yeah. the, the the money that you've already got. So yeah, it's um, 
you know, the, the, the primary law is the law of vibration. Mm. The law of attraction is a secondary law yeah, to yeah, that yeah, law yeah, of vibration. Yeah. And that only works if the law of compensation is being activated yeah. as well. So, you know, the pe people can, and, and like your daughter, for instance, and I know my kids as well, because I've taught them the, yeah, the law yeah, of attraction, yeah. and they're like, right, I'm gonna just I'm attract gonna all this. this stuff, but they ain't doing anything to, no. to, to get it, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I think all the way through life, like you can't, unless you're completely shut off, uh, all of this stuff's like working all the time and we're, we're all learning and yeah, um, yeah. we just can't expect to have everything no. straight away. We have got to be worthy of getting yeah. that thing. Yeah, you, you, you've got to be ready. Yeah, um, yeah it's, um, it's really, I, I think there's a lot in it, isn't there? There's a lot, I mean, what are the chances of, what are the chances, like me being in this seat today, what are the chances of, all the tattooists in the world that I could have gone to in the places that I've been and tra travelled and visited, what were the chances of me ending up? Because when we, we started the journey quite a while, last end of last year when I started getting laser well, treatment yeah, yeah, and everything, yeah. what were the chances of me ending up in this seat, having this conversation with you, Yeah. when we are obviously aligned yeah. in a lot of things? How was that ever... Yeah, exactly. How does that and, happen? And, but I always say that, yeah. like... You ain't here yeah. Yeah. just for some random fucking yeah, reason because yeah, you wanted yeah. the tattoo. Yeah. There's way more to it than that. Like, we attracted each other into our lives. Now, for instance, I'm looking for interesting people that I can interview on the podcast, you know? So those people are coming into my life. Um, some of them already exist mm. and new people yeah. come in. Um, that's just on a very kind of basic level. Just for me to be able to have a conversation with you, I didn't know that you'd read Joseph Campbell. You know, <laughs> no, I didn't know no, that. No, you know, no. Uh, I didn't know that we were going to get onto this subject. But there's there's a bit of a synchronicity thing there going is. on here that like neither of us like actually knew about that until we've sat down it's and a, had this conversation. We just didn't. We just didn't have any. Concept but about. there's other reasons. Mm. That there's things that are going to. If this someone listening to this inspires someone to get off the fucking ass do something and do something mm. which is the fundamental purpose of this entire podcast yeah it is called the creators podcast because i love to create things yeah and i love to speak to people yeah. who also love to create things and what i'm saying is you're just a normal dude i'm just a normal dude we're no better than anybody else. Yeah. Everybody is on yeah, the fucking yeah. same level. The only difference is we got off our ass and we did something. Yeah. Yeah. And if this inspires somebody to go, go and become a ranger. Just do anything. You know, Just do something, yeah. Like, like, and you, would you be a person that someone could contact and say, how do I become a ranger? I'm, 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 I'm completely... Up, up for anybody that wants a conversation or or even just wants a chat about how they can if they've got any aspirations at all in working in conservation whether it be big game conservation in Africa or whether it's just what we were talking about with the bees and yeah. pollinators or um, when, I'm, when I'm not in Africa I like to plant trees for the Woodland Trust you know it's yeah. shit 
in the in the UK, I think. And yeah. Um, yeah, I'm more than happy to. to I tell you, I tell you what, mate. I, I know there's going to be a lot of people sitting listening to this. You're putting them to shame. You know, you, you said like like sorry, p- p- the people who fucking talk about about our this and that and uh, you know like problems in the world and that but they're not doing anything yeah. and he is you sleeping on a dirt floor <laughs> underneath the fucking stars getting bit by fucking all sorts of shit and, and having to stand guard in case a lion comes and fucking eats you right, right. and yeah. when you come back to to the UK where you could um, you know be going to the pub and just you know, kicking back and doing what like Western people do in general. You're gun planting fucking trees. That's important. What is right, fucking right? It's important. <laughs> but but like, imagine yeah. if some people just went and planted some trees. Yeah, the 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 connection with the earth is. I did some work with a with a school. A school was was wanting to plant some trees, and the Woodland Trust asked me if I was interested in helping out. So I went along and. We were helping the kids plant the trees, and there was children living in the Lake District who freaked out when they saw a worm. They absolutely freaked out. There's a worm, and I picked it up to show them it. Yeah. Oh my God, he's touching the worm. What are we doing to our children? Well, that 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 <laughs> bit of that dirt. mate is yeah. a massive fucking thing. Like that, that's a whole subject in itself oh, no? because. You know the stuff going on in the world now with our kids that we're teaching them all sorts of fucking pointless useless fucking yeah. shite and if we're not teaching them it then they're fucking learning it off off social media and um you know but but yeah there's, there's we had a chat before didn't we before we came in we were talking about social media and the effect social media is having on, on society and yeah and um the the fact that some people, some some youngsters nowadays, are afraid to go out of the house because they don't look like the person that they've created on their social media because of the filters and the whatever it is that you can do to, yeah. to enhance it and everything like that. They're creating their own hell. All Which the gods, all the heavens, all the hells are within you. You know. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So isn't it fucking amazing, yeah. right? Like how these quotes actually all tie together. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. they're not talking about different things. Yeah. It's all it's about the same thing. The same thing. Yeah. And it's mind. Yeah. It's it's how it, we're talking about how the mind works. Yeah. Because that changes your perception on Absolutely, everything. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. So you know, yeah. It, it, it's um. It's it's very powerful stuff and back to what I'm saying about the, the purpose of the podcast if we can just get into people's minds just a little bit yeah. just to give them a little bit of a nudge and yeah. help people realise that they, they, they're they not pointless they're not useless they've got a purpose and yeah. we're all unique yeah we're all everybody if you look at say for example if you pick a flower and then you pick a flower any kind of flower and you properly study that flower and you look at how perfect every part of that flower and nature's made that flower 
yet you pick another one and look at it it'll be different to the one you the one you just picked yet yeah. that, that flower will be perfect as well yeah and I, I honestly believe as humans we're all perfect what we've yeah. got to do is appreciate that yeah yeah we don't we don't and that's why people get depressed like you say they they don't know what it is they want but they want something else yeah well actually learn who you are you know like from a from a nature point of view uh, I think people think well it's my perception of it again but like I'm fascinated by moss this moss is amazing like it is. You know, you yeah. can have a lump of moss. Yeah. It's like, let's just say it falls off the roof. Yeah. It's not even growing. It's something that's fell off the roof, right? And you can pick it up and there's this perfect dome yeah. of, of, of plant life. And it's it's almost microscopic. And I, I look at it like, like yeah. a fucking jungle, yeah. you know? Because in there, yeah. there's all these creatures that, that live. It's a whole, that don't yeah. even know they were on the roof. It's a whole ecosystem. They don't yeah. even know that it's fell on the floor. They think there was maybe an earthquake or something, yeah. although they haven't got a terminology <laughs> for that. But like, you know, the the, the, the surroundings shook or whatever. Oh, crap um, just yeah, and, and, and then they'll just kind yeah. of carry on the thing. But like, there's this whole little world microcosm. Would that be the right word? That 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 you can pick up in your hands. And it doesn't know you exist. Yeah. They don't know you yeah. exist. But there's multiple fucking life forms, yeah. including the cells of the yeah, fucking yeah, the moss, moss itself, itself yeah. that are existing. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't care about money. It doesn't care no, about no. like these things no. that we we, no. we care about. But it's in our reality. So yeah, why yeah. not? Yeah. You know, like like that's our perception yeah. on 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 life and the world and the, world yeah. and the, the, yeah. the you know. But it's got. And everything on it has got a totally different yeah. thing of it. But, you know, you can literally hold an entire universe. It's, that is their yeah, universe. It's a microculture there in your hand, isn't it? Just yeah. doing its own thing. Yeah. And if you left it on the ground, it would continue to live because it would become part of the environment that it's landed in. Yeah. Because they do, don't they? Mosses can grow in all sorts of different ways in yeah. different places. So yeah, I find moss fascinating just because of its, uh, uh, like you say, microcosm nature. Um, There's a lot of medicinal benefits to moss as well. They used to use um, sphagnum moss in the um, uh, Victorian era era to pack soldiers' wounds because it was naturally sterile and it absorbed a lot of blood. So it's to pack the wounds with sphagnum moss. So, back to what you're doing, because um, yeah. that was one hell of a, uh, a journey. A, a journey, <laughs> yeah. Like, but I think one that was uh, um, very worthwhile taking and um, quite quite fascinating, um, certainly for me. But. Um, Back to back to what you're doing. You you so so you um you did a, a voluntary job. Yeah. And that led to you becoming what the uh, um, chief trainer. Or? Operations officer for the charity. So yeah. basically, look after developing the training programs, listening to what the client wants, going out, and we do a lot of medical training. So I'm a I'm a wilderness medic, um, remote area medic, um. 
I because uh, looking after people in the bush is very different. You can't just dial nine 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 and have an ambulance tip up. Mm. Um, so you got to. So we did quite a lot of that that kind of training. One of the guys from we deployed one of the guys from our charity into um, Niger and Benin in West Africa recently, and he delivered six like uh, medical responder courses on the belt end and a trainer trainer course as a volunteer um which is like that's you, you you're doing it for the love of what you do not because of and and again i've chased the money jobs i've, I've chased the big money jobs you know and i've achieved some of them Yet none of them have made me happy, but as soon as you follow your heart, you get to a point where actually the money will soon catch up with you. Mm-hmm. It gets there eventually. Um, the, uh, some, of, some of the really uh, interesting stuff about operating, and I think we talk about anti-poaching as a, as a discipline, and we talk about it from a tactical perspective. Um, you, you've got to be really flexible with this stuff. You can, you can go out with a massive plan as to how you're going to develop the team to be able to do what they do. Um, if you're ex-military, then you're going to have a, a, a model in your head of how you're going to deploy, split the section into fire teams and you're going to train them in fire and manoeuvre, what we call pepper pot and one guy moves the next, while the other guy puts fire down, the next guy moves, etc. Um, and then you, you get into the environment and you realise it's not about that. In, in the military, we talk about winning the firefight, which is basically, you get attacked. You, If you get attacked in the military as a patrol, you respond, you put down as much fire as you can in the direction of the enemy, and then you fight through the enemy. You take the fight to the enemy, and you fight through the position. You fight through the, the, the position, you exploit in depth, and then you go firm, and then you do a rendezvous, and you check how everything is, go back, check any bodies, get in the gather any intelligence or anything like that. Um, in the anti-poaching world, it's not about winning the firefight. It's not about fighting through a position. It's predominantly about making sure that those rangers are safe. So if they're getting shot at, the best thing for them to do is to get to a place where they can't be shot at anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and that changed my mindset quite a lot when I first went over. I mean, I went over there with the view that my first time I was over there, had a view that I was going to be working with a section of 12 people who were all going to have some basic military training and um, we'd be able to hone their skills based on what I learned in the military. Mm-hmm. And passed on to them. Yeah, pass it on. Um, well, I got there and there was 12 people in the section and they only had two rifles. Right. So that's a bit different. Um, and not only did they just have two rifles, they had two rifles and they only had one magazine of bullets each for their rifles. So I'm thinking, right, okay, so we're not going to really have a great effect here, are we? Um, so I had to completely rethink my training plan on the hoof because I had sessions planned for 14 days that was going to get them to a certain standard. And, uh, and when I start talking to the guys, and you start understanding their experiences of being out in in the bush doing the job that they do. Um, I asked what I thought was a good question. I said, so how many of you here have been shot at while you've been out on the ground? And they all looked at each other as if I was stupid and they all just put their hand up and went, yeah, of course we've been shot at. 
it's like, right, okay, so I'm not dealing with some uh, some potential risk that might happen. This actually happens. Um, and then they all started, they all wanted to start showing me their, their bullet wounds because most of them had actually been shot. So they're all showing me their scars from predominantly shotguns. Um, shotguns are used quite a lot in the in the poaching world, particularly in, in Cameroon, because it's not big animals, it's small animals, it's what's easily easy to get hold of. Some of them are homemade weapons. Um, there's even old flintlock um, muzzle loaders being used still out there for wow. poaching, um, using melted down pot legs and things like that as, as projectiles. But these guys were showing me these, and this guy lifted his top up to show me a, a bullet wound, and it was like a really, really small scar in the in the in the, in the middle of his in the middle of his stomach, just to the right hand side. And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's where Poacher shot me." But I was distracted by this massive scar on his left hand side. Really gnarly, sort of looked like a bit of a tree kind of scar, and um, and I said. I'm, that's really interesting, but what the hell is that? And he goes, oh, that's where a buffalo gored me. So I started thinking, well, actually, the, the animals are actually <laughs> out to get you as well. So so we had to change the whole way of training these guys. I had to come up with a tactic whereby I could put a, a gun to the front and a gun to the rear of the patrol. Because you only had two. You only had two. And then if they were engaged from the front by a shotgun... So the first thing I did is I put them in a patrol and I just snuck up on them in the bush and shouted bang and see what they did to um, to respond to it. And they just bomb burst everywhere. They were like literally all over the place, like headless chicken everywhere. And nobody returned fire. I was like, right, okay, so that's not worse, not great. So I sort of sat on them and said, so what, what, what do you want to do here? If, if you get shot at, what do you need to do? And I said, well, we all need to make sure we're safe and we all need to get to a position where we can get call in support mm -hmm. from the military to, to help us here. All right, so what are you doing with these guns? I know they're just, you're just carrying them around as baggage or what? I said, well, no, we, 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 we're trained in them. I said, okay. So how about we actually use them when you get shot at? What about that? <laughs> that would be a great idea, sir. <laughs> so off we went. Um, so I just really developed a tactic with them whereby if they were patrolling in a, in a straight line with a gun at the front and a gun at the back, that if they got shot at from the front, their immediate action was to just drop flat on the ground, not run around everywhere, drop flat on the ground. And then um, once they dropped flat on the ground, for the guy at the front to just fire in the direction of the shot, rapid fire in the direction of the shot. And while that was happening, the guy at the rear was to move either to the left or to the right, depending on the ground, so that he wasn't, he didn't have any of the rest of the section in his arcs of fire and to shoot in the direction of where the shot came from. Mm -hmm. And then the second person, the patrol, the patrol leader would then, then get up and then run back, tap each of the people in turn as they went and they would peel away from where the gun was. So they had two guns firing and then once the last person had passed the, the, the rear gun, he would shout that he'd passed him and then the other guy would shout, move, and the guy at the front would stop firing the first gun he would then run back until he passed the guy who was firing, who was the last guy in the section, and shout move, and then they would up, and then they would be able to withdraw from the situation. 
Yeah. Um, and but still, but still put some rounds down. Yeah, it's it. it's the feel like got into them, you know, fighting so. forwards, yeah. but 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 retreating because yeah. you're not there for a, Offensive, for a gun yeah, war. Yeah. You're there to uh, preserve y yourselves, or else yeah. you can't. It's not about like. Mm. Like, like it's the opposite of the military. Absolutely, like yeah. It's, it's in, in, in a sense, especially when you've only got two guns and you don't know how many guns they've got. Eh? Yeah, it, it was, and we, so we drilled that and drilled it and drilled it. And then I got invited back. We want that tactic as our main way of operating. Yeah. So we came back, developed another program and we put that into action and we took it out on the ground. We practiced it more, practiced it more and um, they've they've used it in anger now and it's working so that's really it's really nice that I've been able to do something for them to enable them to stay safe and to come come back yeah. from where they are I mean the other stuff that we do it's not all about guns and running around the jungle making lots of noise and breaking things it's it's we, we do about um, securing a crime scene gathering evidence maintaining the chain of evidence so they can make an arrest there's a lot of human rights stuff. There's a, a bit of like investigative stuff yeah, that goes on yeah. where obviously like if someone yeah. like killed a rhino and took a horn, you're now looking for the person who did this yeah. and where that horn might pop up for sale. So like yeah, it, understanding it. Yeah, so all and of understanding that. the yeah. market for it and yeah. everything. So have you ever been shot? I've not been shot, no. I've been shot at, but yeah. I've not been shot. I've been, right. uh, I've been, um, uh, my my ego will tell you that I'm good, but my my my, my inner self will tell you that I'm lucky. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a combination of the both, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, it's a, um, you, know, you create your own look, don't you? So you do, you do. Yeah, I mean, some of the closest calls I've had have not been nothing to do with weapons, and they've been nothing to do with. Yeah, Africa itself is trying to kill you. <laughs> the country is brutal. The, the country itself is just brutal. But everything from the ants to certain elements of the population. You just feel, I, you know, I, I got stung by a, a, an African hornet on my knee and, uh, and my leg went up like a football. And I was quite quick in getting some, getting some antihistamine cream on it and taking some antihistamines myself. Um, however, I sort of went into a, a state which could only be described as almost a stroke. So it was it, for only for a moment, very very short moment of time, it happened because yeah. everything started to kick in to help me. Yet, had I not known what it was that stung me, had I not known how to treat it very very quickly, literally it stung me. I grabbed hold of it, crushed it in my hand because it was stuck to me. I like pulled it out, threw it to one side, and went straight into my IFAC, my individual first aid kit got out what I needed and trekked myself there and then. Had I not done that, I have no idea what would have happened. And that was a little hornet. So it's the, yeah. the shit that's... There's so many opportunities shit. to yeah. die in Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah.